Hi and welcome everybody. So we have a great session with you with a great speaker today. So Drew Smith, Director of Growth, previous uh, at Direct Consulting, uh, Marketo, Certified Solutions Art Architect, um, currently Director of Revenue Operations at Directive, with more than 20 years of experience in both kind of marketing and sales. Drew is a revenue operations leader that brings a diverse set of skills and experience to the table and ultimately has kind of carved his niche in the reporting and kind of marketing sphere. Drew, uh, kind of give us a, an introduction to yourself. Yeah, uh, thanks Sasha for the introduction. Nice to meet everybody. Um, yeah, so like Sasha said, uh, you know, I'm currently running the revenue operations department at Directive Consulting. Uh, it's the client facing revenue operations department. And um, throughout my career, uh, you know, I've worked on, on the sales side, I've worked on the marketing side, and then got into marketing ops and rev ops about almost seven years ago. And that's where I really kind of like found my niche and found like the thing that I love in, in, in the whole uh, marketing and sales realm is that that operational side. I love process. I love data. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's me. That's my background. Awesome. Thanks, Drew. And so today's conversation of topic will really be focused around, I think, a topic that you're passionate around, the uh, intentionality with data. And I really want to start off with, you know, kind of as you transition from this in-house to consulting, how's that kind of been going and like Perhaps give us a something that's top of mind in the space right now as you've made that transition, things that you've observed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about transitioning from in-house to consulting is, you know, when you're in-house, you see one way of doing things. And it's really easy to optimize that way. When you move over to the consulting side, you see multiple ways of doing things. You know, I mean, uh, now being in consulting now for seven-ish years, I've seen, you know, a hundred different instances of Marketo, a hundred different instances of Salesforce, uh, you know, 70 different instances of Visible. Uh, I've seen, you know, 20 different instances of Drift. And so you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you get to see how, how people do things differently. Because there's always, there's like, you know, 25 different ways of, of achieving any outcome in Marketo alone. And so you get to see those different ways that people have of doing things. And I get to like, pick this thing over here and say, I like this. I'm going to start using this. And I like this. I'm going to start using this. I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. I see how bad that's gone. And so you get to like kind of mold that into your own kind of methodology or philosophy on how to do those things. And, and that's one of the things I love about being on the consulting side. Um, I think also being on the consulting side, one of the interesting things has been um, seeing a lot of the, you know, when I was in-house, there was, there's really no need for me to be like present or, or, or super involved in, in like, you know, the, the operations communities, whether that's in like the Slack communities or just like online with Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that. So since I've been in consulting now, I, you know, you have to be a little bit more engaged in those things. It's been interesting to see some of the things that come out in, in, in those, uh, in those communities. Um, you know, there's some, there's, there's certainly some, some loud personalities in those communities. And uh, it's been really interesting to see some of those. Yeah. And talk us a little bit more about that, Drew. So you mentioned this kind of loud personalities. I've also kind of observed this as well as the operation space is starting to kind of mature uh, as well as kind of in B2B. B2B has been around for a long time, but a lot of now concepts or, you know, as we're seeing kind of the tightening of budgets in many capacities across the board, it seems like there's a lot of this call it thought leadership, a lot of these opinions out there that are 
really bold and big. Um, but what have you kind of observed of like what people are actually doing versus what they're saying kind of online or across these social channels? Oh yeah, <laughs> great question. So I think um, the the one the, the ones that stand out to me are so you know I, since getting into operations, my kind of niche has always been like data and reporting. I love data, mm -hmm. I love statistics, I love numbers, and so and again coming from a sales background, my whole thing was always like I want to understand how my efforts as a marketer are influencing pipeline and deals because as a sales rep, that's what I was measured on, and that's what business cares about. And so from a marketing standpoint, I've always wanted to try to figure out how to measure things to figure out how I'm influencing pipeline and deals. And there's a lot of loud personalities out there that basically tell you that all the best marketing channels, all the best marketing tactics and strategies just can't be measured. And so because they can't be measured, you just shouldn't measure marketing at all. Like just stop measuring marketing because measuring marketing is flawed and you're never going to figure out what the most impactful things are. And I just, I just disagree with that wholeheartedly because like you can't, if you can't measure something, you can't optimize it and improve it. You just like, I mean, you can, but it's incredibly difficult. And so like, I, I hate this idea that like, you just shouldn't bother measuring marketing and that, that because the best channels and the best tactics and the best strategies can't be measured. Like most of them can, most of them, not all, but most of them can. You just gotta get creative. Um, we can figure those things out. But um, yeah, I, I, I vehemently, disagree with the idea that like you just shouldn't measure marketing okay and for those who are trying to measure marketing kind of grapple with some of the things that you can't measure right? as you mentioned that there's always going to be a category of things that are unmeasurable in many cases like those proxy metrics of course those ways to kind of look at things but how do you kind of balance the qualitative and quantitative signals right like some people call this like your gut or your experience but it's just basically your perspective or your observations alongside of the things that you can track along things with the data. Like how do you see a divide between those two types of frameworks or two types of ways of thinking about things? Yeah, I mean, so I think both quantitative and qualitative have, have a tremendous importance in terms of, of your ability to understand how marketing's performing. So quantitative is where, you know, we, we talk about like number of leads that we're, make, that we're creating, you know, number of MQLs, stuff like that. Qualitative is where we're trying to understand, you know, are those turning into the things that matter for the business? Um, are they turning into pipeline? Are they turning into deals? And so if all you're measuring is the quantitative, you're missing the qualitative. If all you're measuring is the qualitative, you're missing the quantitative. You need a healthy balance of both. Um, I also think there's this like really, um, uh, overlooked aspect to qualitative data. A lot of times we look at qualitative data and we just look at in terms of going into Marketo or Salesforce or whatever platforms we have at our disposal and pulling reports. And that's great. But there's another aspect of qualitative data that a lot of people don't do that is super, super important as well, which is have a conversation with people. Like, you know, have a conversation with your SDRs. Hey, we sent you 25 MQLs last week. What are your thoughts on those? Are they any good? Like I can go look in the Salesforce, but I want to hear it from your mouth. Like what, what, what was good about them? What was bad about them? Um, that's also qualitative data. And that's something that like is just as valuable, if not more valuable than just pulling the reports from, from the tools you have. Um, and so I think that's a piece of qualitative data that gets overlooked a lot. And do you feel like it's something that's in line with talking to your customers and understanding 
their story, their bar journey? Like, how do you feel like that kind of relates? So there's, you know, especially in the operations space, and perhaps you know this as well on the consulting side, there's this notion of you've got to talk to your end consumers. A lot of the times internal teams have consumers across sales, perhaps marketing, or, you know, even leadership. What about the, the kind of the customers of their customers? Right? The, the ultimate goal is like your actual customers for your business. How do you see that kind of relationship between, you know, internal customers versus kind of external customers? Do you need a mix of both or should just be, you know, the customers that you immediately kind of touch or immediately impact? Uh, well, so, I mean, I would say that, that you immediately impact both internal customers and external customers, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that it, it should be both. Um, it needs to, if, if, and I think this gets down to a lot of why, like a lot of issues that a lot of organizations have is a, a misalignment between marketing and sales and marketing and SDRs. And a lot of that is because they just don't talk. Um, we're not going out and saying, hey, how, how are you doing? Like how, how, how can I work with you better? How can we get you better leads? How can we, you know, get you better data? Asking those questions of your internal customers is super important. Because if you, if, if you aren't aligned with sales and marketing and you're not, you're not speaking the same language and you're not telling the same stories, then the only way to get there is just to open lines of communication. Um, and at the same time, you do still need to know who your buyers are, right? Like who are your actual buyers? Um, so it's, it's, it's good to have conversations and have relationships on both sides of that fence. You can't just, you can't, I mean, you can, you can have just one, a lot of, a lot of do. A lot of organizations do. A lot of organizations have none. But the best organizations, the, one that do, the ones that do it best, have relationships on both sides of that fence, both the external customer and the internal customer. And typically when you're getting these signals and you're trying to figure out what to do with them, a lot of people typically focus on the execution side of, oh, how do I get the next campaign? How do I track this thing better? Which is for sure important. I don't want to you know, diminish the importance of that. But what I find a lot of times as I've observed in the space as well, that the strategy isn't always paired off with execution. Like you're trying to go after a goal that may have, you know, things like tech debt, might have other things that are dragging down your strategy. How do you see those two, you know, kind of related concepts playing into each other? Can you have one without the other? How should folks be thinking about that like from what you've observed from your clients? Yeah, so I think, um, and again, I always talk, I always go back to the, the, the organizations and the folks that, that are the most successful at these things. Um, I think a lot of times what happens is we get into these scenarios where we're, we're analyzing data, where we're doing the quantitative and the qualitative, and we're talking to people, and we're using this to just make decisions about, like, is something good or bad? Is something, you know, and so you have these very, very, uh, binary decisions about, well, is this channel working or is it not? And a lot of times these aren't binary decisions. These are decisions where we, there's, there's degrees, right? Like it's, it's working, but it could work better. Like, let's find a way to make it work better. And so we have to think through the, like, like we have to look at the big picture and understand what are we trying to achieve as an organization? And then when we understand what we're trying to achieve as an organization, because we have explicit KPIs, we have explicit OKRs, we have you know, goals that we're trying to hit and we have clearly stated objectives. Then what we do is we, we go through our decision-making process to understand you know, what can we make tweaks to here and there to start moving towards those goals and those objectives. And so it's not like I just turn off a channel because the channel's not working. No, we don't, we don't just turn it off. 
Like, what do we, how do we just make it better? Um, and so uh, I, think, I think the other thing that this gets into a lot is um, uh, there's, there's some other stuff going on in the communities about data-driven versus data-informed. And um, it's, it's the same thing. It, there's no difference between data-driven and data-informed. It's the same thing. Uh, somebody said data-informed and created a, like, kind of tried to brand it, you know? Um, it's the same thing, because data-driven doesn't mean that I'm a slave to data. Data-driven means, and data-informed me means the same thing. It means I use data to help me make decisions. It doesn't mean I'm a slave to it. It means that I use it to make decisions. And so we have to look at the each individual data point and understand what is this trying to tell me in relation to, you know, the goals that I'm trying to achieve. And so um, we, 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 I think sometimes we just get too myopic with things and we try to solve little tiny, tiny challenges without keeping the big picture in mind. Um, and so that you, you have to be able to good operations. People have the ability to zoom out and see the big picture, you know, from 30,000 feet above, but then also zoom in and, and, you know, have their hands in the dirt and be able to understand what's going on at the ground level. Um, because if you can only see one or the other, you're missing a whole big piece of the puzzle. So you have to be able to do that zoom in and zoom out. And how have you seen with some of your clients bridging some of that gap, right? So in our operations audience, we have a very common kind of notion between task taker and strategy, right? I think what you're talking about really resonates with that audience where I have perhaps an executive suite or a leadership suite that's kind of trying to point the spear in the direction of the business. And then you actually have, oh, kind of who's firing the bow, what bow we're using and all the mechanics of, this, this process with this go to market. So how do you see some of your clients at various stages, how do they bridge that gap? How do they get in the same room? How do they work together? Like, how should they be thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of what it comes down to is, so particularly when it comes to data, a lot of organizations do not have an intentional motion around data. What they have is an incidental motion around data, which means like we have the data we have and sometimes we're able to use it to make decisions. Sometimes we're not able to use it to make decisions. And so we have to have an intentional motion around data. You have to have a plan for what are we trying to achieve through data. Um, if you don't have a plan, you're gonna get stuck in this mindset or you're gonna get stuck in this, this box where you don't have the data you need to make strategic decisions or to see what's going on at the 30,000 foot view. Or we don't have the data to make tactical decisions or to see what's going down on the ground level, right? And so one of the first ways that you, you, you bridge this gap is by creating this intentionality around your data collection and your data creation. There's data is both collected and created. You're not at the mercy of what you can only collect. You can also create data as well. And both of those can have an intentional motion behind them an intentionality behind them. And so if you, if you want to be able to make strategic decisions, if you want to be able to see that 30,000 foot view, you need to intentionally collect and create data that allows you to do that. Same thing if I'm wanting to manage at that bottom level, at that ground level, I need to intentionally create and collect data that helps me see that ground level view. Um, if you don't have that intentionality, you get stuck. And that's where people come in and they're like, well, you know, we don't, we don't, we can't, we can't see what's going on up at this level. So we're just going to make ground level decisions. And that's 
it's fine. You're gonna make a lot of ground level improvements, but you're not gonna make a lot of high level improvements, right? And so you need to have, like from a data standpoint, you have to have both. And then this is an area that I think is just criminally underfunded in, in operations is people. You have to have people that can interpret the data at both levels. Um, operations is criminally underfunded in terms of people and talent. Like we need a lot more people and talent in organizations that can, that can understand what the data is telling us. Um, and not just surface level, but understand at a deep level, like pulling the insights out of the data. You need somebody that's capable of analyzing data that, that can help narrate what's going on at this level and down at this level as well and, and everywhere in between. And that's where I think like operations is just criminally underfunded in that area. We do not have enough talent. Um, and, and I want to be very clear. It's not that I don't think people can do it. I think there's plenty of people that can do it, but we don't have butts and seats. Like you've got operations professionals that are doing like four or five, six different jobs and they don't have time to devote to putting that effort in. Right. Um, or maybe they're really good at interpreting the data at the ground level, but they need like extra time and extra bandwidth to be able to learn how to interpret data at the 30,000 foot level, right? And so like, we just need more people. We need more butts and seats. Mm -hmm. And off that point, how did you, how have you seen or kind of have you observed with some of your clients and your experience, folks trying to tackle this issue, right? So it seems that we're underfunded, we need more butts and seats. It seems that we're, at least some folks or some companies are ripping out things too quickly before thinking about a long-term plan, right? Like things that are kind of in a shorter time frame. I'm seeing strategy and roadmaps that are, you know, shorter and shorter in lifespan. Like what are your kind of like initial thoughts on how folks or companies should be thinking about or what is the best version of how they should be thinking about, you know, their, their strategy from both a kind of long-term to a short-term? Like is, is a month long enough? Should it be longer? Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question, and this this is it, it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier with with measuring campaigns and making decisions about campaign performance. Um, every campaign is different, and so when you go through the campaign planning process, you need to understand what is who is this campaign targeting and what are the goals and objectives for this campaign. If you're running a campaign that is, um, I'm just throwing out examples here. If we run if we're running a campaign that's targeting people and trying to get them to be MQL, then my, my measurement strategy around that campaign should not be around lead creation, right? We're not targeting that. We're, we're not trying to create leads. We're trying to create MQLs from leads that already mm -hmm. exist. Now we may have an element of that campaign that's targeting net new leads and bringing them into the database for the first time, but we need to differentiate that in terms of our goals, right? Um, so the goal for that campaign may be to drive MQLs, but we all know that campaigns also have a longer term goal of pipeline and deals, right? So we have to understand how long is our sales cycle? So I just had this conversation the other day with a client who was saying like, you know, we, we have a 12 month sales cycle. So we're running this campaign. How long before we can see pipeline and deals? 12 months. Right? <laughs> it's your sales cycle, right? I mean, like if that's how long your sales cycle takes, that's how long it's going to take for you to get results. Now you can include leading indicators, things like you know lead creation and QLs, you know stuff like pipeline, but you're not going to see deals for 12 months, and unless unless you're 
Doctor Strange and you have the time stone and you can, you know, move things along. <laughs> witchcraft um, some things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Witchcraft. Yeah, sure. We can we can do that. But like unless you have that ability, it's gonna be 12 months. And so like what what that what that gets into is one, setting proper expectations so people understand, hey, we're not gonna see this type of result until this time period. What it also means though is that um, and I think this is this is kind of what you were hinting at in your question is people tend to make decisions too quickly before things have had a chance to fully mature. Um, I always use the analogy that it's like, it's like cookie dough, right? Like we all love cookie dough. I mean, I love eating cookie dough raw, right? But most people have cookie dough to make cookies. And so you can't like your, your results, your data, your measurement strategy has to go, has to get fully baked in the oven before you start making decisions. I mean, yeah, you can check on cookie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> unless you actually do want a half-baked cookie, in which case, by all means, knock yourself out. But like, you can check on it periodically and see how it's doing in the oven, and that's that's your leading indicators, right? Is it is it you know doing is it well? rising correctly? Is it rising correctly? Like, yeah. yeah, like what's what's going on in there? Is things going well? You can check to see how the cookies are baking, but. Until the cookies are fully baked, you don't know how that batch of cookies turned out, right? You have to wait for it to be fully baked. And we see a lot of folks that, that are trying to judge the performance of marketing, judge the performance of campaigns when they're still in the cookie dough stage or when they're still at the, the half-baked stage. And they haven't given it enough time to, to actually fully bake yet. Um, and so we, we, the, the best way to counter that, the, again, the, the clients that do this best they're very intentional about their measurement strategy for their campaigns and their marketing mm -hmm. activities. They create uh, like measurement milestones here at 30 days. These are the KPIs we're gonna measure at 30 days. And these are the goals that we're hoping to achieve in 30 days. Then we're gonna do a 90 day check-in. We're gonna have a 90 day milestone. These are the, the KPIs and leading indicators that we're gonna check in at 90 days. And these are the, the goals that we're hoping to see in 90 days. And then we're gonna do a 180 day check-in and that mile, at that milestone, we've got these KPIs that we're going to measure and these goals that we're going to try to achieve. And so when you have milestones and set KPIs and objectives as part of your campaign planning strategy, you don't have to worry about, am I checking the cookies too soon? Am I eating, am I eating the cookie dough raw or, or are the cookies fully baked? Because you know, you've, got, you've, got your, you've got your milestones, you've got your check-in points, and you know at that point in time what you're supposed to be checking for, right? So like... That's the best clients that I see that do this are the clients that have that type of a campaign planning strategy. Um, now that doesn't mean that while the campaign's running, you can't optimize things. doesn't mean you have to wait till the very end of an entire sales cycle to optimize. That's just far too long, of course. What you do though, is you optimize against the leading KPIs, not the KPIs that we're supposed to have 12 months down the road when we're a full sales cycle in, you optimize based on the leading KPIs. At 30 days, I'm supposed to have 25 MQLs. And you know, ideally one of those MQLs would have turned into an opportunity by now. Um, you know, so just in case they were already a little further along in the funnel than, than some of the other folks. So you put those signposts in place and you say, okay, well, 30 days in, do we have our 25 MQLs? We get 12. What's going on? Why do we only have 12? Like we should have, we should have like 25. So let's let's see what we're doing. Why do we only have 25? Uh, or why don't we have 25? Let's make some optimizations so that when we get to our next 30-day check-in or our 90-day check-in, we're not, we're not behind, right? So you can put these things in place and check in on the progress of your cookies, but you know, you don't, but you're not measuring too soon. 
You're not, you're not shutting down the oven before everything's baked. Well, I'd actually, I'm wondering what using your cookie analogy, you got me really hungry now, Drew. <laughs> some really freshly baked cookies. Um, well, using your kind of analogy, so I hear that the best, best clients that you've seen kind of go through this really kind of prescriptive strategy of saying, if the end goal is to have freshly baked cookies that you can actually eat and consume, you have to wait until the cookie's baked, <laughs> right? There's definitely stages in between to, to capture, you know, kind of key moments. Is it rising, right? Using, again, your cookie analogy here. But is there a point where companies or marketing teams should put, pivot and create, I don't know, like cookie dough ice cream, right? Like, is there a point where, oh, yeah. you know, the, the signals that are coming in um, tell you that what your original hypothesis was, you need to change, right? Like a big, you know, translating into business terms, a lot of, a lot of the struggles for marketing teams, especially CMOs and other leaders, is that you have to, you're committing to pipeline generation or pipeline revenue of some kind 12 months down the line, but you have to make results today, right? Like today you have a leading indicator that says your numbers are probably not going to be hit, right? So how, how do you, how have some of your clients like thought about this analogy of, you know, do I, you know, change paths, do I pivot and make cookie dough ice cream, if you, if you will? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's the importance of having those milestones and signposts that you're doing your check-ins on because you can determine if something's going horribly wrong before, you know, before you invest too much time and energy and money into something. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a, I think there's, there's a concept that, that, that I subscribe to, which is the, the, the sunk cost fallacy. We're all familiar with sunk costs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody always says like, well, we've already invested $10,000 in this, so we, we got to keep going. No, you don't. You absolutely do not. So first off, we have to be aware of the sunk cost fallacy that says like, just because I've spent 10 grand on this campaign does not mean I need to keep spending money on this campaign. Um, number two, that's the value of having the milestones and signposts because I can look in. And so like, I'll give a perfect example of a client that we did this with. So I had a client um, uh, previously I don't work with them anymore, but they were running a paid media campaign. And we were looking at this paid media campaign. This paid media campaign looked like it was performing great. Um, it was designed to create MQLs and net new records and MQLs. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a, a, a lead generation type of campaign. Okay. And so by all measurement, this campaign is killing it. Low cost per lead, high conversion rate, like the majority of the conversion yeah. were converting, we're turning into MQLs and we were, it was killing it. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we did the qualitative measurement, none of those MQLs were actually being qualified past the SDRT. Every mm -hmm. single one of those MQLs was getting disqualified. Mm -hmm. So that's a red flag. Hold on. We got to, we got to pause. So we actually paused the campaign while we were doing research. And so what we found with the research is that the campaign itself and the landing page did not do a good enough job with the copy and the creative of allowing people that this company couldn't work with um, from, so the copy and creative was not helping these folks self-select out mm -hmm. by saying, this is not for me. This is for mm -hmm. these types of companies over here, but not for me. And so we ended up with this, we ended up with a, a a, 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 all of these like we're talking like dog grooming places and hair salons mm -hmm. and little tiny mom and pop shops that this company mm -hmm. just doesn't have a solution and price point for mm -hmm. they just don't have it 
right. all these people were filling out this form because there was nothing that would help them self-select out. Mm-hmm. And so we had to, so this is an example of where we had a signpost, we had a milestone that we checked in against, right? Mm-hmm. And we found that these MQLs were not progressing past MQL. So we put a stop on it, we paused, we, we, we opened the oven, we saw that the cookies weren't doing well, right? Um, and so we had to figure out why aren't the cookies doing well? And we found out, and then we went and fixed it and then turned it back on. So we changed the copy, we changed the creative to fix it, and then we turned it back on so that we could then basically take another milestone signpost 30 days out again and see like, how are we doing now? And what ended up happening is the lead volume went way down. Our cost per lead went up, our conversion rate went down, our MQL number went down, but we were actually getting folks that were progressing past MQL. So it, again, if you just look at those, those first initial numbers, those, those first leading indicators, you know, we, we had to do that next step after that. And so mm-hmm. we made the changes. It actually dropped the performance of the leading indicators, but increased the performance of those lagging indicators. Um, and so right. you have to, that's because we had an intentional data strategy that allowed us to do that though. We built mm-hmm. a strategy and a data ecosystem that allowed us to do that evaluation. Now you could come into that scenario, that same scenario and you have that milestone point and you say, look, it's, it's not that we're just bringing in the wrong people. This is like, this is a disaster. Like we're not getting any results. We're not even getting the wrong people. Nothing is going on here. It is totally okay to say, look, we have to abandon this. This is not working. We are not getting the leading indicators. We, we, we should be, we need to go completely reevaluate this campaign and take a different approach. If you have the data available to you, you can make those decisions, right? Like in this example, we were able to, to, to pivot the campaign a little bit just by adding some different copy and creative mm-hmm. to enhance the campaign. We didn't have to shut it down completely and completely reallocate that money to something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's, that's the value that a good intentional data strategy can't have though, is helping you determine, do we need to abandon ship or do, do we just need to correct course a little bit? Yeah, and what would you say to those folks that are trying to think about a intentional data strategy, right? They're thinking about these things, they, they hear you talk to and you're like, wow, this is a really powerful example of how I could pivot and have success, right? You know, it doesn't always work out, but that's what we hope for, a pivot and success. What happens when you don't invest in the right ingredients, for example, right? Like when you don't invest in the right tracking and you're not very intentional, you're intentional about the tracking of a campaign, but you're not intentional of the data that's coming in, right? Like what format is it gonna come in? And you're almost tracking the wrong things perhaps, right? Like yeah. using kind of your cookie analogy of like a cookie kind of crumbles and the data is a little bit of a mess. You're not using perhaps organic ingredients as you should be. You know, what, what are some of the outcomes? Like what are some of the things that people would expect and perhaps some strategies that they can mitigate against that? Yeah, so I think the, the, so the way to create intentionality around data and to create like a data strategy is it's, it's not, people make it like way more complicated than it is. Um, what it is is it's, it's taking a moment to say, what do we need to be successful as an organization from a data standpoint? I need to be able to tell uh, that a lead, so like to be able to do what I just, what we did with that, that client, right? I need to be able to tell that 
a, a lead came from paid media. I need to be able to tell what the campaign name is. I need to be able to tell that they made it to MQL. I need to be able to tell that they made it past MQL or that they were disqualified. If they were disqualified, I need to know why they were disqualified, right? So that's five data points that I know that I need to be able to do that exact analysis I was just talking about. So what that means is number one, I have to start with my lead sourcing strategy. Can I, do I have the ability to capture the lead source for a lead that comes in to tell that they're paid media? Yes or no? You know, you can answer that question pretty quick and easy, right? Just, and then creating that strategy is, is actually the easy part because all you have to do is understand that it came from paid media, right? Mm -hmm. The next is, can I tell what the campaign name was? Well, you should be able to, but if you can't, you know, then it comes into like, am I using auto tagging in AdWords to make sure that the campaign name comes through in the URL? How am I capturing that campaign name through the URL when they fill out the form? I need a field for that, right? So then you go create your field, you create your process to capture that UTM. So now you have the campaign name. Next up is I need to know that they became an MQL. Can, can you currently tell what stage somebody has been in not what, what stage they're in now. What stage have they been in, in your life cycle or buyer journey? Because I don't need to tell that they're MQL right now. I need to know that they became an MQL, right? But I also need to know that they became an MQL after having interacted with this campaign. So that means I need two data points. I need to know that they became an MQL and I need to know the date they became an MQL. Mm -hmm. So now I have two more data points to add to this strategy for how I'm gonna track this particular thing. Then I need to know what the outcome of that MQL was, right? So I need to know that next step. So do right. I have the ability to tell what the SDRs, uh, uh, how the SDR dispositioned that lead? Can I tell mm -hmm. that next step? If I can, great. If I can't, I need to create the mechanism that allows me to do that. And then if they're disqualified, I need to be able to know why they're disqualified. So that's a field disqualified reason. And so I need to be able to track the disqualified reason. So now, I mean, just going through the process like of outlining those five key things that I need to have in order to do this type of analysis with a campaign, you're now able to see very quickly and easily like how I can create the data architecture to be able to track this. Now, uh, there's a lot of like, well, what's the right way? Like, what's the right way to do this? There's no right way. There's, 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 there's the way usually, that works for you. Yeah. There's the way that works for you, right? The way that works for you. There's usually like levels of maturity. And so everybody always wants to get to the top level of maturity. We want to be running right now, tomorrow. Well, you can't. hundred percent. Everything is gearing, yeah. right? Yeah. I have cookies coming out of the oven every five minutes. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get to that level of maturity overnight. So just take the first few steps, get those five things taken care of. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the next time you come up with, uh, a, a campaign that's got a different set of objectives and goals, then you say, well, how are we going to track that? Well, this one's not geared towards MQLs. This one's geared specifically towards accelerating pipeline deals. Okay. How are we, we going to track that? Like let's, let's put together an intentional motion. What are the data points that we need to be able to track that? And then let's go build those into the system and build the process to automatically get that data automatically as much as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Get that data so that I can then go report on those things. But most organizations don't take that moment to say, what do I need to do to be able to report on this? They just run the campaign they just go. and then 
And then we'll see what, the, what data we have available to us at the end of the campaign. So right. the best clients though, they pause to see what our measurement strategy is for the campaign. Mm -hmm. And if we have the data architecture to be able to do that, if the answer is no, we have to build it. So Drew, maybe I'll, I'll give you kind of like the, a framework or put slightly words in your mouth and see if you resonate with this. It sounds like you have like uh, almost like an assumptions framework. Like the way that you described T is like kind of a story of like a story through the customer journey through tracking in a way of, okay, well, if I don't have step three of your five-step process here, before I have step five, there's no point to run the campaign and start doing all these things. It's great that I have steps one through three, but if I don't have steps through four through five, for example, then I'm gonna have you know, bad data and I won't really be able to make a decision. It's might as well, I might as well have not done the campaign at all, right? And perhaps you, you also mentioned this interesting point of at the top of the funnel, those are like the five things just for, for this example. But at every stage that you're doing something, right, whether it's optimizations or tweaks, I imagine that you could apply the same almost assumption testing framework of what are the things that I need to track to be able to get you to the results that you're looking for, to get us a definitive answer of like, are we doubling down or are we deprecating this? Is that kind of the way that you're thinking about things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a, it, it's, and, and you can use the word framework and framework is, is perfectly suitable. Um, you can also just say that, like, add this into your campaign planning process, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we go through the steps of clearly outlining and identifying the objectives and the actual targets that we're going to hit. And then once we identify those things based on the strategy of the campaign, then we have to take that quick moment to say, can we actually track those things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, and if you just put that in, that one step into your process that just says, can we actually track these things? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then you have another step that just says, okay, let's start figuring out how we track it. Like that is not a difficult thing to add to your process, right? Mm -hmm. And that is not a, a organizational wide, big data warehouse project, which I think is what a lot of people assume you have to do to get to this type of tracking is it's, it's more of that baby steps mentality. Let's just get a couple, couple uh, you know, new data points that we can track every single time. Um, and then you, you keep, that just starts moving you up the maturity curve, right? Mm -hmm. You just, you start crawling. Next thing you know, you're walking. Next thing you know, you're running. Next thing you know, you're, you're sprinting and doing marathons. And so um, you don't have to tackle this as like a big, massive organization-wide data project. You can start small and just start with an individual campaign and figure out how are we going to track this particular campaign. And as folks move up that maturity ladder, so we... We have started to internally develop this our own concept around. So we're kind of in the PLG space around kind of product like sales, and we've seen that same observation. And perhaps we've seen the same observation on your side where your data clients are like moving up wherever they want to go, right? In their capacity for data tracking and their own maturity there. All right, you you brought up this interesting point that I want to kind of add a little bit more color, or kind of harp on a little bit is it's okay to start from somewhere. It's okay to start from nothing. It's okay to start with something, right? Some level of tracking, you have UTMs and tagging and so forth. But at the end of the day, you're still gonna have to move forward, right? To add in new campaigns, new initiatives, new creatives, right? As the business evolves, right? Um, I think very potent still today is, you know, the advent of COVID and digital versus hybrid models, how folks have to quickly move from, you know, offline event attribution, if you will, to 
digital UTM attribution from the like event space, right? You know, kind of webinars and things of this nature. As you've seen kind of folks go through kind of this maturity ladder, what are some of the telltale signs that they are, you know, really up leveling between levels? Like what are the, you know, if I, if I was a business and I was taking a look back and trying to really evaluate myself properly, what are some of the telltale signs between like, you know, from perhaps at a milestone of starting out, right? You have nothing to um, getting there. I'm kind of getting the groove. I'm, I'm able to launch a few campaigns, track them properly. And then perhaps that, that holy grail of like, you know, I'm best in class. I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, using, as you mentioned, data-driven, data-informed, whatever you want to call it, in a really good way. So how do you see some of your clients at each of those stages? What are those like telltale signs from your perspective when evaluating either clients or customers? Yeah, so I have uh, what I call a like four-dimensional reporting framework. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's, as the name hints, there's four dimensions um, in the reporting framework. Um, one dimension is campaigns. So being able to report on the performance of campaigns. Um, two is channels, being able to report on the, the performance of channels. Number three is the funnel, being able to report on the performance mm -hmm. of the funnel itself. And then the fourth one is time being able to report on time and how time impacts these things. Now, a lot of organizations that we work with, a lot of our clients come in being able to report on the performance of campaigns. They may be able to report on the performance of channels. Fewer are able to report on the performance of the funnel and even mm -hmm. fewer still are able to report on how time is impacting those things. So what I look at is how many of the different dimensions can you report on mm -hmm. at any given time? Um, and But more so than just can you report on these individual dimensions? It's, are you able to layer these dimensions on top of one another and mm -hmm. relate them to one another? Um, the most mature organizations can layer all four of those dimensions on top of one another and do some really, really robust reporting that not only just looks at the campaign, but the channels within the campaign, the different points of the funnel that they're interacting with, and they can compare that against different cohorts and add different time contextualization to those reports mm -hmm. and that those data sets that says, hey, you know, this is compares favorably to a similar campaign we ran last year at this time, just generally quarter over quarter, this campaign is performing better than it was previous quarter, year over year we ran, you know, like the ability to build those different time-based cohorts and do that comparison while layering on campaign channel and funnel, that's like where everybody wants to get. Um, because that's where you're really, truly understanding, you know, how, how we're performing as a marketing organization. So uh, I evaluate organizations and clients against those four dimensions and how well they can report on those four dimensions and then how well they can layer those four dimensions on top of one another. Mm -hmm. And so would you say that, you know, for if you had a hypothetical Acme company coming in, you know, transfer request your services or trying to like think about this. Would you say that starting off, perhaps they have either, you know, none to two, perhaps, of these capabilities, as you mentioned, like, I believe campaign and channel are kind of the most prevalent in that earlier stages, or so maybe you have some capacity to do that. And then would you say that, like, the next milestone is that do you see it more in the funnel or more the time dimension that folks kind of move up? Like, what is the first thing that people tackle? And is that the right path? Obviously, they should get to four, right? Four is the... yeah. Yeah. The framework where it's like, okay, great. I, I feel like you have a great understanding of layering, right? But where do you see folks start first? Do they start first with the funnel or the time? And 
you know, do you feel like that's the right approach? Yeah, I mean, I think most most for most folks start with campaigns and channels because those are the easiest ones to get right. Um, once you have those right, um, and once you can report on those, the time context should be layered into each of those before you start moving into layering in funnel, because time provides that context of, is this good or is this bad? Is it getting better or is it getting worse, right? Um, you know, if you're just looking at, at raw numbers related to a campaign, I can tell you, oh, this campaign drove creative 400 MQLs. Okay, great, that's fantastic. Is it any good? Don't know. I don't know, it was just, it was just what happened. So time should be layered into each dimension individually, because then if I come back and I say, well, we, th this, this campaign just drove 400 uh, MQLs in Q1, great. How many did that campaign drive in Q4? Oh, it drove 300. Oh, so it sounds like it's doing good, right? So Q4, it drove 300. Q1, it drove 400. Fantastic. It's doing good. What about Q1 the year before? Well, Q1 the year before, it drove 500. Well, ooh, now the context changed a lot, right? Now we're up quarter over quarter, but we're down year over year. Is that campaign performing well or not? Mm, probably not. No, no, I don't think it's performing right. very well. So I wouldn't wait to start layering in the, 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 the time. time context until I have funnel right. I layer in time context. As soon as I'm able to report on campaigns, I need to layer in the time context to those campaigns. As soon as I can re uh, report on channels, I need to start layering in the time context of channels. As soon as I'm able to report on the funnel, I need to start layering in the time context within the funnel. Um, because if not, you're just stuck there with a number that says, we did 400. Is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> yeah. And then your CMO or somebody else asks you, well, I mean, is that going it, up? Is that going down? It's a big like, number. Like, yeah. yeah Growth like, of like, what? It's a big number. Yeah. What, what, do you, like, what are you telling me? And you're like, oh, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just 400. So like so you have to have that. <laughs> yeah. You have to have that. So uh, layer in the time context as, as early and often as you can. And then once you have like, you know, the ability to start like layering in two dimensions, then you say, say, well, how can I layer in the third dimension, right? Whatever that third dimension is, how can I layer in that third dimension? And so you start, you strategize, how can I layer in that third dimension? You build your architecture so that you can do it, build your process so you can do it. Now you can layer in your third dimension. Awesome. I mean, I, I think the, the greatest analogy to wrap us up here is that if you think about an oven with your half-baked cookies, what's the one thing that it has on it? It has a timer, right? And that's obviously intentional for cookies because if you overbake them, you have a burnt to a crisp where, you know, perhaps the, the intent at some point that coming in from your demand gen, your creative campaigns is inedible. So your sales team can't use it anymore, right? Or it's maybe it's half-baked, as we said, or not baked at all, right? Like it's, it's not even like matured enough yet to be even considered a fully formed cookie, right? Mm -hmm. And so well, that's uh, wrapping up. Thank you, Drew. Any last kind of thoughts, uh, anything else that's kind of you'd love to kind of leave our audience with? No, I mean, I think, I think we got out all my hot takes and <laughs> all of my, uh, my cookie analogies. So I think, uh, I think, I think I'm good. Just uh, thanks for, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to, to share some, some, some learnings. Some cookie related analogies. I love it. And then Drew, where, where can people find you uh, after the session? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's under Andrew Smith. Um, 
a little confusing, but I've got Drew in parentheses. So, because there's a lot of Andrew Smiths out there, so mine's the one with Drew in parentheses. Um, I'm on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at Smitty Marketing. Um, I talk a lot about non-marketing stuff as well. So I apologize in advance if you can follow me on Twitter because um, you will get spammed with information about Arizona State University football. Uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. And you can always awesome. find me at directiveconsulting.com too. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Drew. And I think that was a great session about cookies. <laughs> Thanks, Sasha. Appreciate it.